You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today we're going to have to start talking about the 49ers a little bit more because the game is tomorrow. Also, I'm going to be out of town again, so I've got the laptop that really just doesn't even work. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Obviously, I have to put out something, but it might just be on my phone. I don't know. So we got to get in as much today as possible because tomorrow just there, there's no guarantees because my laptop is so awesome, it takes like 45 minutes just to turn it on. So I've got some other NFL stuff we're just going to put off until another day, next week, whatever. And I do want to try to get into a, usually what I do is sort of a deep statistical dive or, you know, PFF grades or, or whatever. I want to do that a little bit, but I'm really... I'm really starting to feel, I shouldn't say starting, I'm, I'm just, I'm fully immersed in the emotion of the game. And so I want to try to keep it somewhat cerebral, but I'm having a hard time getting into that, that headspace because I'm, I'm just in full on, I mean, it's a combination between being overwhelmed that we're even here and, and we're, you know, in 48 hours, we're going to know whether the Packers are going to the Super Bowl. Less than that, obviously, but it's more than 24, so I just round it up because it's easier. We'll call it 36 and say that's probably close. And so I'm going to try to strike that balance today because we got to get into some kind of substantive thing, but I still feel like I got a lot to get off my chest. And the, and the other the other part of it is is that we're so close, but also the amount of trash talk that's been going on is crazy. And and if if you've been listening, you know the one thing that's going to bait me are terrible arguments. If you lay out an argument that says this is why the 49ers are going to win, I don't care at all. I'm going to read it nod my head and go, yep, makes sense, and move on. Because I just, I that's fine. You're allowed to think anybody can win, and here's my analysis, and all right, good good one. But just terrible arguments, especially by the, I'll call them the blue checkmark folks, which isn't really about that, but supposed authorities, people that are supposed to be in the know, that are supposed to be above us. Now, we're just fans, they're professionals. I can't help myself, man. I just can't help it. So again, I, that's my goal today is to strike that balance. We'll see how it goes uh, because we got both to talk about. So anyways, just want to say a big thank you to everyone that is now supporting on Patreon. Um, we are up to 58 patrons, which is fantastic. I mean, we're, we're well beyond uh, any amount of support I've ever had. If you have the ability to support the podcast, it would be very greatly appreciated. Again, as little as a dollar a month really goes a long way for me, and I'm assuming for most all of you, it, it, it's not going to impact you very much. Uh, the next goal I have set is to get up to 100 patrons. And when we get to that goal, which, by the way, it's only the 18th, we can get there. We're talking about 42 people. That's like, I don't know, 1% of the people listening. Then what I want to do for the giveaway 
is not only are you going to get whatever t-shirt you want, you get to pick whatever design you want. has to be Packers related, has to be family friendly, preferably something that can go in the store or not. You know, Jim is awesome, go Pack Go. Like, just, no, man. But if you want, like, Zadaria's snubbed shirt, whatever, you get to pick the design. I will go pay to have it designed. I will put it in the store for sale, and you will be getting one of those for free. As of right now, the giveaway is you go into the store, you pick any item you want because we're going to have a, a giveaway for everyone who is a patron or donor of any kind. Some people give in other ways. They are also included. So anyways, them's my goals, and I'm hoping you all can, can jump in and help me with that. Otherwise, um, five-star iTunes review, Stitcher review, any kind of review would be greatly appreciated. And again, make sure you are su- subscribing to the Packernet podcast. Now remember, that's the name of the podcast. The ultra-confusing thing, and I apologize, is that the correct podcast, the logo says Pack Daddy. The incorrect podcast, the logo says Packernet. Again, I apologize. It is what it is. But anyways, uh, why don't we just hurry up and take a break so we can get into this because I have a lot of things I want to say. Ladies and gents, if you've got nagging muscle and joint pain, you got to at least check out Omax Health. It is a natural breakthrough pain relief solution, and it's called CryoFreeze CBD. It's a roll-on developed by Omax Health. There's no prescription needed, triple action pain relief, and is specifically formulated to block the pain receptors and reduce inflammation. It is 100% natural. It's CBD powered. It works within 10 minutes, and it'll last up to 8 hours. Anyone from professional athletes to Grandma Josie can benefit from the immediate pain relief. If you've got pain that won't go away, then you need Omax CryoFreeze. You simply roll it over where it hurts and you ice out the pain. You got no messy creams, no horrible fragrances, which are just the worst, and it's going to improve your physical training, recovery, and performance. And Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. This discount also applies toward any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code OVERTIME. That's O-M-A-X-Health.com and enter OVERTIME to get 20% off cryo-freeze and anything they've got on the site. And once you get your joints feeling right, make sure you follow your favorite baseball team to the Arizona Cactus League Spring Training. Whether you're a fan of the Diamondbacks, Cubs, Sox, Reds, Indians, Rockies, Royals, Angels, Dodgers, Brewers, Athletics, Padres, Giants, Mariners, Rangers, get out there and go watch your team. Or better yet, just go to CactusLeague.com and tell me it doesn't look awesome. The great weather, giant ice cream cones at the baseball stadium, kids getting their stuff signed by baseball players before and after. And the great news is, once it's done... You're in Arizona on vacation. If you're into, like, quirky, artsy, ghost-towny stuff, they got it. If you're looking for a real nice water resort, an up-class, high-class, haute couture restaurants, they got it. Whatever you want to do after you watch some baseball, you can do it. So plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. You know you want to. All right, where to begin? Why don't we start with a question from the Facebook group? This is from Taylor. Taylor says, Do you think this is Rodgers' best chance at another Super Bowl? I know the team has locked up a large part of the defense, but I think the lack of injuries this year is an oddity, and with getting home field advantage and a bye last week, I'm not sure if we'll get a better chance than he has right now. Also, if he doesn't make it, does it really hurt his legacy as being one of the best in the game? Matter of fact, is he the only... Oh, matter of fact, is he's only been to a single Super Bowl. Got it. So I don't want to... Again, answer this in some kind of a lazy fashion, because I know you're looking for a direct, like, yes or no answer in terms of, you know, 
like, is this going to be the best team or whatever? I don't know. The point is, though, the Packers have to act as though this is their not just best opportunity, it might be their last opportunity. And that's not a commentary on whether or not I think we're going to get better. It's just a fact of the matter of regardless of how we feel about what the potential is, we have to know there's a potential that there's regression. And there are some good points in terms of, is this an oddity? In other words, look, I said a lot last year about how the Chicago Bears were likely going to regress because things were performing higher than expectations. Certain things, certain players, certain whatever. You could make a case that the Packers are in the same boat. Now, obviously, you can make a, a case that, the, for example, the biggest lagging thing here is the offense, which is beginning to click and which is about to add a bunch of talent. So, of course, we could sit here and go, oh, no, they're going to be much better next year. Possibly. But let's just, for argument's sake and for the sake of not wanting to be negative at this time of year, let's just say they do get better. In 2011, the Green Bay Packers were 15-1. and They didn't win a Super Bowl that year. They haven't won a Super Bowl since. They haven't even been to a Super Bowl since 2010. This isn't even about being better. The Super Bowl really is a different entity. It's not about earning it. It's not about deserving it. It's not about, in in terms of, this is the best team, therefore you get in. I would say even the best team has a is unlikely to get in. It's not about that anymore, and that's what everybody's missing. Well, 49ers are better, Chiefs are better, boom, there you go. Teams like the Rams and the Chiefs and the 15-1 Packers back in 2011 were deserving teams that did not win a Super Bowl. And so even if the Packers get better next year, that doesn't mean they're going to automatically get to the Super Bowl. Let, let me continue to elaborate on this. This isn't just an Aaron Rodgers issue because he's getting up in age. This isn't just a Brian Balaga issue. Randall Cobb was drafted in 2011. In his rookie year, the Packers went 15-1. and Randall Cobb has never been to a Super Bowl. Randall Cobb got let go by the team that drafted him. He is about to become a free agent on his second team now. I don't care if you're Aaron Rodgers, Kevin King, or Rashawn Gary. This might be your last opportunity to have an opportunity to simply win this game and be to the Super Bowl. I know it feels like you're a rookie, therefore. And I know from a fan's perspective, this is a young team. We can get multiple Super Bowls. I know what it feels like, and I know we can look into the future and say, well, they can just get better. So can everybody else. I'm sure guys like Derek Sherrod and Devon House, who were also drafted that year, felt on top of the world. I'm sure there was a feeling of, oh, well, we'll get him next time. Which, by the way, if the Packers lose to the 49ers, that's the mentality we're all going to take. The fact of the matter is that 15-1 season was followed by five playoff losses and then followed after that by two years of just missing the playoff. Do I think this is their best chance in terms of is this going to be the best team to win a Super Bowl over the next five, six years? I don't know. I would guess not. I'm assuming they're going to get better. But my point is it doesn't matter if they get better. It's entirely possible they get better and don't get to the Super Bowl. You have to take what's right in front of you right now and assume it's never going to happen again. And again, it doesn't matter if you're 22 or 42. Because even if the Packers get better, guess what? The Saints are still a team. The Seahawks are still a team. The Vikings, the 49ers, the Rams, the Cowboys, they're all teams that are good teams that have the ability to get better and win. The Packers can get better next year and lose some of these close games. Going 13-3 and is, is a near impossibility even for good teams. And forget about teams that are good now that might also get better. What about teams that are not very good that could emerge? What about the Cardinals? With a young quarterback and, and, you know, getting that whole system together, if they have a good draft, why can't they? The Eagles, you think they can't get back on top? 
the Giants, I don't know about their leadership, but they've got a quarterback. They've got a running back. They started building that offensive line. They're going to have some really high draft picks. Who's to say they can't get better? What about the Redskins with Haskins? And the fact that they're about to get Chase Young, similar to how the 49ers just got Nick Bosa and also have a newer, better, more talented coach. There's 32 teams, is my point. And being even the best out of 32 doesn't guarantee you a, a, a darn thing. So I don't know if it's their best chance, but this has to be everybody's, everybody's mentality has to be, this is it. Because it might be. This is a very big deal. And although the, the obvious mentality is, look, this is just this is, this is year one. This thing's just getting started and it's only better from here. We have no idea what's coming. What happens to this team if Zedarius and Preston aren't the best pass rush duo in football? What happens if Zedarius just gets like nine sacks next year? Or ten or eleven? And, and Preston gets eight. That's still better than we have had, but it's not this freakishly high number. Even if we had a good wide receiver, I don't know that that fully balances that out. And I, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be negative. I believe the Packers are going to get better. I trust in Brian Gutekunst. I trust in Matt LaFleur. I trust in Aaron Rodgers. I trust in this defense and Mike Pettin. I think they're going to continue to get better. But again, it doesn't matter if they get better. You are not guaranteed an NFC championship game just because you got better. Does that mean you're as good as the Vikings or the Saints or the 49ers? Do you think maybe they could get better? Do you think the Cowboys could get better? Of course they can. So yes, everybody needs to act as though we will never get another opportunity again because the fact of the matter is there's a very good chance if you don't get there now, there's a lot of guys on this team who will never, ever see a Super Bowl. And you can go back through the list of all the players that have come and gone through Green Bay since the last time they were at a Super Bowl. The list is pretty long. It is not a foregone conclusion that we're going to be here every year. This is a very, very, very important moment. This is a very, very, very important game. And I, I believe the Packers know it. I hope they know it. And especially the rookies. Jimmy Graham doesn't need to be reminded that this is probably his last chance. Mercedes Lewis probably doesn't need to be re reminded. And, and the fact that Aaron Rodgers talks in every other interview about how the finality of his career is becoming very clear, he knows this could be his last opportunity. These guys don't need reminding, but guys like Jair, guys like Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins, they need to recognize that they may never, ever get another chance to get into a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl championship. And although it seems weird because it's your rookie year, you got to recognize that it's true. So very good question, and it took me a while to think that through, but that, that's the best answer I've got. I don't know if this is their best. I mean, yes, it's their best chance because they're there, you know? In other words, would you would you trade away this opportunity for the next five years? Like, if you had to guess or put money down on when the Packers win a Super Bowl, would you bet on this year when they're in the NFC Championship, or would you look at the next five years and bet on that? I mean, you, you could put your money on the next five years. It's not a terrible bet, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking the bird-in-the-hand approach. We're here now. It seems weird. We shouldn't be. Rookie head coach, right? We're, we're in a rebuild. We just did a teardown a year ago. You shouldn't be here this fast, but we are. And we might not be here again, and so we've got to strike now. So I want to now move on to, and this, there's so much overlap with all this. You know, the, the weird thing about this is that making a case for how and why the 49ers win is not a hard thing to do. It's not hard. So what would possess somebody to make ridiculous cases? Why would you need to over-exaggerate the case for the 49ers? They don't need help. There's no reason to lie in the favor of the 49ers. They're a good football team. 
And so when you see on, I believe it was ESPN, the graphics going around all over the place, talking about which matchups are the best. In other words, who has the best quarterback, who has the best wide receiver or receivers. It's it's 49ers all the way down the line with the exception of special teams, which is just weird. It's also strange that the only group left out, they included defense, every unit on offense, special teams, and coaches, but they left out offensive line, an area that's pretty clearly in the favor of the Packers, which the 49ers aren't bad, but I find it a little strange. But why would you need to lie about the quarterback? Do you actually believe Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers, even in a supposed down year for Aaron Rodgers? Is that your belief? How, why, and based on what? First of all, you're saying that the 49ers have better coaches, correct? So he has a better supporting staff from his coaches. According to you, he has better receivers. And so you would expect a guy that plays for a better team with better running backs, better coaches, better play calling, better receivers, and is a better quarterback would have better stats. Isn't, is that a reasonable expectation? That a better quarterback with better weapons and better coaching would, would perform better than a not as good quarterback with not as good weapons, not as good running back, not as good coaches, not as good play calling. But yet we've got Jimmy Garoppolo with 4,100 yards, Aaron Rodgers with 4,200 yards. Pretty similar. Aaron Rodgers is ahead. But again, why would that be the case? Furthermore, they both have 28 touchdowns, which is weird. You would expect Jimmy to have more because he's better and has better weapons and running back and coaches. But then when you go to interceptions, Aaron Rodgers has four. Jimmy G has four teen. Beyond that, if we look at pro football focus, which is grading every single snap, every single play, Aaron Rodgers has an 85.3 overall grade, which is to say very good. Jimmy Garoppolo is a 77.7, which is good. If we look at quarterbacks when there's no pressure from a clean pocket, who's better? Jimmy Garoppolo is an 89.5, basically elite. Aaron Rodgers is a 91.3, unquestionably elite. What about under pressure, though? Aaron Rodgers drops all the way down to a 61.7. He's only thrown for 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, and a pick. Jimmy Garoppolo's grade is a 47.6. Five touchdowns, which is one less, and five interceptions. And he's only thrown for 864 yards while under pressure. Why, why would you say that? Why would you... Again, even if you're biased, even if you're a 49ers fan, maybe ESPN's headquarters is out in, in San Francisco somewhere, and they're all a bunch of biased... You know, Packer-hating 49ers fans, I I don't know. You can still make the case the 49ers are a better team and keep your integrity by admitting Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback. That's, That's the baffling thing about this. You're destroying your own credibility on live television for the sake of overstating a case that doesn't need to be overstated. You can just say Aaron Rodgers is better than Jimmy, although Jimmy's still good. And you can make a case about the running backs, which is is a fairly reasonable case if you wanted to push that issue. You could say they have a better running back group. I know Packers fans want to dig in their heels on that. I'm probably not going to. You could argue Aaron Jones is the best running back of the group if you wanted. He's the only one with over 1,000 yards, and he has 10 more touchdowns than anybody in San Francisco. However, he's got a lot more attempts than anybody else also. He's running for 4.5 yards per attempt. Raheem Mostert is running for 5.6 yards, Matt Breida 4.9 yards. So unless you just want to say Aaron Jones has more touchdowns than Tevin Coleman and, and Mostert combined, um, and Matt Breida for that matter, Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, Mostert combined have 17 touchdowns, Aaron Jones has 18. So again, you can make the case if you want to, 
but you don't have to. It's pretty close. You could even make the argument that they have a better running back than Aaron Jones if you want to look at yards per attempt as your main metric. I, I pointed. I don't really care. I just don't understand the need to over-exaggerate stuff. Again, it's very simple based on lots of different metrics that you would come out with the fact that the 49ers are a better team. Why do you need to lie? There's also been a lot of talk about the pass rushers. Yeah, the Packers have a couple guys, but the 49ers have just got this elite front four. It's not even close. The Packers aren't as good, and they come up with these random statistics. And again, there's no reason to lie. Your team doesn't have to be the best in every single category in order for you to be right about something. This was a comment made on Twitter. Two game changers versus four game wreckers. I'll take the 49ers. And that's, that's listen, that's just a guy on Twitter. But that's been repeated by a lot of people. So I just laid out the stats. And I wasn't even making a case that they're entirely wrong. But the idea that there's two guys against four guys is kind of just incorrect. Here are the team pressure percentages. And some people came out with hurry rates and all this nonsense to try to twist the numbers. The fact of the matter is pressure percentage is when you're trying to get to the quarterback, how often do you do it? Number one on this list is Zadarius Smith at 17.87%. That is a ridiculous number that has almost never been reached in, in PFF era history. Very, very rare. Bosa is number two at 16.7. Ford is number three at 14. Then Preston at 13. Then Armstead at 12. Kenny at 12. Fackrell at 10. Buckner at 10. Gary at 10. So it's really just you got two elite elite guys in Zadarius and Bosa. Two very good guys in Ford and Preston. Then you've got the good players in Armstead and Kenny. So we're pretty even across the board. And then you've got the not terrible pass rushers in Fackrell, Buckner, and Gary. And I took all the guys with a certain amount of, of snaps that are above the 10% mark. It's pretty even, is, is, is I guess the point. And depending on the metric, the Packers are better. Depending on you know this or that, the, the 49ers are better. If you want to look at sacks, it's definitely the Packers. Best pass rusher seems to be Zadarius. Most pass rushers above 10 would be the Packers. But I'm sure there's a lot of other metrics to look at that would say the 49ers. The, board, the, the bottom line is, though, they're both elite pass rush groups, and the media narrative is that the 49ers are just on a different level. The Packers have Zadarius, who's very good, but he's not as good as Bosa. He's nowhere near as good as Bosa and Ford combined with Preston and all that. It's just the Packers have a couple improvements, but the 49ers are on a different level, and that's just not true. And the idea that, well, you know, they're, they're much better against the run than the Packers, which if we want to go the more well-rounded route, it is true the Packers have struggled against the run. They're uh, 23rd in yards allowed, 24th in yards per attempt. Here's the thing. The 49ers are 23rd in yards per attempt. They're one spot higher than us, 17th in yards on the ground. They're not that good. I mean, they're not bad, but it's not like this is an elite defense. By the way, all the talk about elite defense and this and that this is an offensive football team. This is a team that wins with offense, not as much defense. The defense is a massive supporting factor, but this is the this this team is number two on offense, number eight on defense in terms of points. Allow me to elaborate further. I've done a lot as far as correlations looking at um, statistics. I want to try that once, but looking at pro football focus, because we can do a week-to-week look at position-by-position whether they performed really well or really poorly and what the correlations are between winning and losing. So if we start with defense, obviously a better defensive performance is more largely going to co- can correlate with win. The problem is it's not as solid or direct of a correlation. Point and case, case and point, 
the 49ers' best defensive performance, and this is backed up by DVOA as well as PFF for all the anti-PFFers. DVOA and PFF are very aligned on, on most things. Slight variation, but they're very aligned. Best defensive performance by the 49ers all year was Week 10 against the Seattle Seahawks. They lost that game. Worst performance they had on defense by far, Week 9 against the Arizona Cardinals. They won that game. Offensively, best performance was against Seattle Seahawks in Week 17. They won that game. Worst performance, Seattle Seahawks Week 10. So Week 10 was simultaneously their defense's best game, their offense's worst game. Guess what happened? Guess what won out? There is a much stronger correlation between their offensive success and winning football game. Let me elaborate further. Looking at offensive grades overall, week to week, when the offense does not get to a 70, which is quote-unquote good, when the offense is not good, or let's say when they are good, the team is 12-0. and 0. When they don't get to that 70 mark, they're 2-3. and three. So this brings up another point, and it's one of the more frustrating things I've seen. And again, it goes to the, to the point of just being embarrassed for people that call themselves professional. There's another quote going around, and essentially it's, I don't see any way the Packers win. This is so logically incoherent, it's unbelievable. Granted, this was um, said by a, I mean, it's just, it's, I don't even want to say their title because it's so embarrassing. I mean, these are relatively high up people at NBC Sports, I believe. But one of them is a Seattle guy. Maybe he's just anti-Packers. I don't know. Or maybe it's just because it's the 49ers and you got a good look at how good they are. I, you know, I, I don't know. But then you got the guy that said uh, Mitch Trubisky is better than Aaron Rodgers. That dolt backed this up. But he, here's the logical inconsistency with this. It's not a matter of can they win. Any team can win on any Sunday. We know that. So to say there's no way is entirely self-defeating because you know there's a way. The question is, in every game, what are the conditions in which the underdog wins? That is a question you can ask and answer every single week. For you to come out and admit that I can't think of any possible way is your attempt to be spiteful. But again, you're doing it at your own expense because you make yourself look dumb. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Brian Balaga, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, King, Jair, Savage, Amos. This is a talented football team with some of the better talent in the entire NFL, and you're coming out publicly saying, I can't think of a single way that that roster can beat the team that lost to the Falcons a couple weeks ago. I just don't have that kind of imagination. That that's that's that is entirely you saying I stink at my job, and you're doing it to be I don't know you're exaggerating a point. I just I just don't understand the people that that want to make a a strong point by deliberately saying I'm a dummy. I can't even fathom that. You can't think of a way. You can't. This is a this is a San Francisco 49ers team that has lost three games. This is a Packers team that has won 14 games. You can't think of the conditions in which a 14-win team can beat a team that has been beaten this year. So you know how the 49ers lose. You have a very large sample size of how the Packers win. And you can't think of what those conditions might be. And then you said it publicly. That is shockingly embarrassing. And if I was your employer, I would be appalled. And the fact that this is like the fifth time that this has happened, where we have people that are self-proclaimed intelligent people, who walk around with their chest puffed out because of their title, and then go on Twitter and demonstrate why they should not have any position of the kind, is baffling to me. By the way, children, if you're listening, 
One of the biggest misconceptions is that adults know what they're doing. We don't. If you have aspirations to go out and be something and do something, the biggest and best piece of advice I can give you is that nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's just faking it, with very rare exception. So if you're good at something, go do it 100%, because a lot of people in that industry are not very good at what they're doing. And I don't mean to be disparaging, but that is the exact reason I started a Packers podcast. It suits my strengths, and I've also listened to several Packers podcasts. There's some good ones. There's some really, really garbage podcasts. That's life in a nutshell. Go look at the managing editor of NBC Sports or whatever. Look at how that man's brain works or doesn't. Look at the guy, at Eric Eager from PFF, this analytical website, who, who doubles down on the defense that defense doesn't matter and that a game in which the Packers' defense beat the Seahawks' offense was an example of that. If you have aspirations, just push real hard and also make a lot of connections because that's the only way I can think that people like this end up with jobs like those. It's not competence. Sometimes it might be, but it doesn't have to be. If you got dreams, push real hard. You'll get there. If you're good at something, go for it because everybody else probably isn't. It's, just, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me. And again, you want to bait me into something, just say ignorant nonsense like that. And again, I I spent 30 seconds this morning trying to find a condition in which the Packers win. I come out here and find out that it's, it's, number one, it's an offensive-driven team because I turned off what the media says, which is that this is an elite defense with George Kittle. So it's George Kittle and an elite defense. They do have a good defense. They're, they're top 10, barely, but they're top 10 in points anyways, which is the only thing that really matters in football. They're eighth, which, by the way, the Packers are ninth. So the fact that that's the big, like, the big thing is that the Packers have a pretty good defense, but the 49ers are just on a different level. Yeah, but they're not, though. Beyond that, let me illuminate something else. The only thing the Packers need to win this game is an offensive performance. Yes, I mean, the defense has to show up, but we're talking about a defense that has not allowed more than 23 points since the last time they played the 49ers, which was an anomaly. Anybody saying this is going to be a repeat, which is something that blue checkmark people have been saying, this is going to be a repeat of Week 12, which, again, wildly ignorant. But but the Packers have not allowed a lot of points. And by the way, Seattle's offense is pretty good. And although they looked pretty gassed by the end of that game, that's because they had Russell Wilson running around. This is not Russell Wilson. This is a static quarterback. And by the way, that guy, a lot of those pressures and sacks came from Russell Wilson holding the ball a lot because nobody was open. So this defense with a very good pass rush that was getting to um, Russell Wilson a lot, and the only reason they didn't have 10 sacks is because of his ability to escape. They have allowed 23, 20, 10, 13, 15, and 13 the last few games they've played. One of those teams, by the way, the lowest of which was the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. If the Packers' defense keeps doing what it's been doing, which I've been saying for a long time, the magic number is 24, and they have not allowed a team above 24 since San Francisco, and there's only been a handful of teams that have gotten above 24, three to be exact. The Eagles and Chargers are the only other teams that have gotten above 24. By the way, those are the only three teams that have ever beaten the Green Bay Packers. If it is true that this offense is in a rhythm, if it is true that they're starting to get their groove, how can you not come up with a scenario in which the Packers win? Because ultimately, I think that's what this game comes down to on both sides of the ball. The defense's ability to stop the offense. And look, the 49ers' offense has been better than the Packers, so that's sort of the storyline. If you want to make a case for the 49ers, it's very simple. On top of being home, it's the fact that two very similar defenses are trying to stop two offenses, and between the two offenses, you have the 15th-ranked Packers' offense 
trying to be stopped by the 49ers defense compared to the second-ranked 49ers offense against the Packers defense. The Packers defense has a more difficult job. That's the simple case you make. But the problem with that narrative is that it's not that big of a, a blowout scenario. It's, it's more of the 49ers have a slight edge. And nobody wants to say that, that you, because, again, the Packers are frauds, the Packers are useless, 49ers are this elite juggernaut, which is a pretty wild exaggeration. The Baltimore Ravens, statistically, were a much better team than the 49ers. They're gone, by the way. The Patriots' defense was one of the better defenses we've seen in a very long time. The offense did struggle, but they're gone. Much better defense than the 49ers' defense. So I'm not, I'm not even going to sit here and try to disparage the 49ers, because that's silly. Because I care about my ability to think. It's not so much about reputation. I just don't want to be dumb for my own sake. And it would be dumb to to discount the 49ers in San Francisco. That's a tough it's a tough matchup. But guess what? It's the playoffs. The the point is every team right now has got a tough matchup. The Titans have a tough matchup, the Packers have a tough matchup. But guess what? The Chiefs also have a really tough game ahead of them, and so do the 49ers. And anybody giving any message beyond that is dumb. Either they're dumb on purpose or they don't know it. And I don't know if this is like trying to grab as much attention as you can while everybody's looking at the Super Bowl. Everybody's looking at the NFL right now because we're really close to the end. There's only four teams left. So I got to just say the most ridiculous stuff to get as many retweets as possible. Doesn't matter if I get ratioed. It's just, you know, I just need as much attention as possible right now. Make myself look important. I, I don't know. I really don't understand why this would ever happen. Because, look, going back to the initial thing, Packers versus 49ers pass rush. Shrug. It's a wash. If you want to say the 49ers pass rush is better, fine. I don't care. May, maybe. I mean, listen, they're both good enough that if you told me the 49ers had a better day rushing the passer than the Packers did, I wouldn't be shocked in the least. Neither should anyone be shocked if the Packers have more success rushing the passer than the 49ers. Because guess what? Both teams have incredible pass rush units. It's not even really debatable. And saying the Packers have no path to victory is lazy. It's just laziness. Anyways, let's take a break, and I want to zoom in a little bit more on the sort of analytical side of it. Look a little bit more specifically and what it takes and, and what the conditions are for winning and losing. Because I actually care about learning these things. I actually want to grow as a person who watches football. I want to have actual opinions that matter. And I want to give you information that's actually nourishing, as opposed to just walking into a room and just start swinging wildly. Just a hammer in search of a nail. Knowing full well that I'm just going to shatter windows and, and you know knock out grandma. But I don't care, because I just want to be wild. I, I, re- I, don't, I don't know. I can tell you, though, if I ever get big enough to where I have, like, a website or anything, and there are people making those kinds of arguments on Twitter, we're going to have a conversation about that. Because I care much less about clout, and I would care much more about reputation. And the fact that I hired someone that's such a dummy, that is admitting online that I have no ability, no no amount of intelligence to come up with a scenario in which the Packers can beat the 49ers. And, and get out of here with hyperbole. Make statements that make sense. Sound intelligent for once in a while, you know, occasionally. Try your best. Can you do it? Maybe you shouldn't be here if you can't put coherent, logical statements and string them together. And I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more agitated than usual, and I'm sorry. And I made a, a note to myself yesterday, try to be a little less angry. Let's have fun. But I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I want the Packers to beat the 49ers so badly, and it's not even about the 49ers anymore. I used to really dislike the 49ers. I want all of these people 
who are saying all of this nonsense to go hide under a rock until August, where they pop back out, make more declarative statements, and hope that we forgot. Because this is all nonsense. And it's just it just infuriates me. Everybody's got their, their things that they just can't tolerate. This is it for me. People walking around with their chest out, calling themselves authority, because Twitter says, yes, that's who he says he is, and then saying mindless nonsense, and then sticking your nose up at people who give reasonable arguments about why you're wrong, but then go, <laughs> like you would know. Just It just makes me crazy. But we're going to take a break. I'm going to get up and walk around, splash some cold water on my face, and we're going to try to look at stats, facts, and information for a little bit to close this thing out. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so let's continue on looking at this offensive um, thing for the 49ers. So, for example, looking at points scored. When the team has scored 26 or more points, they're undefeated. When they get to 24 points or less, they're 3-3. Three and three. Remember, 24 points is the magic number. It, again, this is... All right, I'm not upset. Point is, though, if you want an answer to the question, how do the Packers win this game, it's relatively simple. The defense needs to do what it's done all year. Keep... The San Francisco 49ers to 24 or less points. Again, only three times this entire year has a team surpassed 24 points on this defense. If they can do that again, they put the the 49ers, I'm sorry if I keep saying Seahawks, I don't know why I'm confused right now. They put the 49ers in a situation where they're at about 50%. That's that's a tough spot to be in. Because you look at them and you say, well, this is a team that's won a lot of a lot of games. Right? It's a 14-win team. They win almost all their games. Okay. But if, you, if I told you right now, or if you told me that this team was only going to get 24 points, this is a 50-50, this is a coin flip. So this, this, this has largely been, and again, the, the, the floor is set by the defense, right? So that's, that's the defense saying, look, just get above 24, or in this case, get 26 or higher. They haven't scored 25, so the line is, is a couple points thick. And typically, the way that you gauge it, you got to kind of think this through for a second, 
the lower the line is on your side, the better the other portion of the, the team is. So, for example, the, the line that the defense sets for the offense is about 20, we'll call it 25 points, right? Above it, you win. Below it, you're 50-50. So that's the line that the defense sets for the offense. That's not bad, right? The Packers are a little bit better. Their line is about 24, or technically it's, I guess, 23, because if, if you can score at least 24 points, we're in good, good uh, position here. On the flip side of this, looking at the defense, again, it's slightly less predictive. If I were to set a line, it would still be at about 26. The team, when, when offenses score more than 26 points, they're, again, 50%. They're 2-2. Two and two. However, there is one outlier. The defense held the Baltimore Ravens to 20 points, and they didn't win. Why? Because the offense didn't hold their end of the bargain. Again, the, the point is, the offense has been the main driver of this team, and so what you see when that's the case is that when the main driver doesn't do its job, the, team doesn't, the, the team's odds of losing go up really high. Similar to what we've seen with Aaron Rodgers in the past. Aaron Rodgers is the main mover. The offense, more broadly, is the main mover. If the offense isn't doing its job, what happens? It didn't matter if the defense was having a good day. You know this. Go back 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. With the exception of a couple years with defense being okay, you know full well, even if the defense is having a fairly good day, if the offense just can't get moving, we're done. And so that is largely the case with the 49ers, and I'm just drilling that home because that has not really been the narrative. And so I think the biggest goal going into this, although it's, I mean, they're good on both sides of the ball, is that if you want to win, you have to find a way to shut down the offense. The good news for the Packers is if if, if you were to tell me that the Packers are either going to dominate their defense or the defense is going to dominate their offense, which do you think the Packers would have an easier time doing? And I don't mean to say it's easy. Again, second highest scoring offense in football. But could you see a path, for example, in which the Packers' defense is disruptive enough that the 49ers aren't exactly having their best day? And again, remember, we're just saying keep them to 24. 24 points isn't a terrible day. So are we saying the Packers at their best can't keep the 49ers to 24 points? It's happened six times already this year. The Falcons kept them to 22. The Rams kept them to 20. The Washington Redskins kept them to 9. The only reason the 49ers even won that game is because they didn't allow a single point to be scored by the Redskins. So that would definitely be an example of the defense carrying that game. But it's it's an outlier. Let's look at something else. I talked a little bit about comparing Aaron Rodgers to Jimmy Garoppolo. But let's take that information and say, how do we disrupt this offense? Again, 24 points doesn't guarantee a victory, but it, it drops a 14-win team down to a, a 500 team. A 50-50 team. Similarly, if we compare Jimmy Garoppolo with no pressure compared to pressure, it's night and day. And this is true with most teams, but again, we're trying to figure out how to make this team not an elite football team. Let's look at it again. When Jimmy Garoppolo is not under pressure, 276 completions, an 81.1 completion adjusted completion percentage. That is, removing throwaways, drops, and batted passes. If you don't want to do that, it's still 73.2, which is insanely high. He's thrown for 3,245 yards, 23 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, 8.6 yards per attempt. He's very, very good. Contrast that with any time Jimmy Garoppolo is under pressure. 54% completions. 864 yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, which is still pretty high, five touchdowns, five interceptions, sacked 38 times. So again, the a big part of the equation is the quarterback, and the question is, are we going to face a really good quarterback or a really bad quarterback? And I'm telling you, there's a direct line between whether he's pressured or not, which, which just logically means the more times we pressure him, 
the more times we get the 47 overall, in other words, the bad Jimmy Garoppolo, and the times in which we can't pressure him, we get elite Jimmy Garoppolo. And then the blending of the two ends up being an average as far as how good of a game Jimmy Garoppolo has had. Meaning, pressure him, pressure him, pressure him. And this is self-evident, but again, we're, we're just trying to paint a picture. How do the Packers win? If we can pressure Jimmy Garoppolo, they suddenly have a bad quarterback. That's really all they have to do. And if we just look at the the grades Jimmy Garoppolo has had, the best game he played all year, and kind of by a lot, was Week 17 against Seattle. The worst game he played all year was Week 10 against Seattle. Again, this is a big piece. I know he's not the George Kittle of the offense, but George Kittle isn't getting the ball if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't playing right. The best game he played all year in a loss, he got graded out at a 63, which is barely average. The other games was a 44 and a 49 against Baltimore. Any game in which Jimmy Garoppolo had even a 65 overall grade, they won the game. I'm not saying this is the only key, but it is a massive component. Because again, remember, the offense is more the key than the defense, and Jimmy Garoppolo is the main component of the offense. He's not the best player on offense, but he's the easiest disruption the Packers can have. Because taking away George Kittle is probably going to be a lot more complicated than just disrupting um, Jimmy Garoppolo before he can even get the ball to George Kittle. So I think at the end of the day, this comes down to, and listen, a lot of the success from the past comes from being able to run the ball successfully. Again, I, I mentioned Raheem Mostert and his ability to run for a lot of yards. And if you remember, when we looked at the Detroit Lions, there was a high yards per attempt, but really that just came in a couple of games and a relatively small sample size. That's not the case here. Uh, last week, uh, Raheem had 4.8 yards per carry. The week before that, 5.7, 4.8, 3.9, 6.9, 7.7, 7.5. Since Green Bay, that's what he's done. Prior to that, the yards per attempt wasn't that good. Since then, pretty solid every single week. There was a 3.9 in there, but there's also a 7.5, a 7.7, a 6.9. This guy in particular, and the 49ers in general, have run the ball very well. You run the ball well. It, it hurts our ability to rush the passer because we're not shooting as hard into the backfield. We're not disrupting the quarterback, and then he's able to distribute the ball. My thought on that is that they're running the ball in order to try to get you to back off so that they can throw because that's how they win football games. We have to stay committed to rushing the passer. If you got to tweak something or adjust something, change something to try to stop the run, that doesn't involve backing off the pass rushers. If you want to keep them in tight and blitz a corner, I don't care how you do it because stopping the run is very important. But if they want to run for a lot of yards and rack up yards and still lose the game, I'm fine with that. It's like a magic trick, man. Don't watch you know, the, the flashy object. They're moving their hand around trying to distract you while the, all the while the other hand is the one sneaking into the pocket. They're trying to distract you with the run. They're trying to scare you with the run. They ran for 174 yards, fifth highest they ran all year against the Baltimore Ravens. They still lost that game. 174 yards is a lot of rushing yards. Let them dazzle you with their ability to run the ball. Because the fact of the matter is, in that same game, he only threw for 157 yards, which is the fourth lowest all season. Fifth highest rushing yards, fourth lowest passing yards. They lost that game. Don't be scared of them running the ball. Find a way to stop it, and if you can, it's going to help you. But keep coming for Jimmy. Keep going after him the same way you did Russell. Because the fact of the matter is getting Russell five times is unbelievable because they had him in their sights at least ten times. The only reason, again, they didn't have ten sacks is because of his ability to scramble. Jimmy Garoppolo ain't that way. Not going to happen. Zadarius, Kenny, Preston, Rashawn, Fackrell, Blake, anybody that wants to get in on them. 
the corners, the safeties. The more heat we get on that guy, the better our chance of winning this game. Again, he's got just as good of a a chance when he's under pressure of throwing a touchdown as he does a pick. Five touchdowns, five interceptions. That game against Seattle in Week 10, very, very close game. Seattle, listen, Seattle's not as good of a football team as the 49ers, right? That sort of overall broad statistic, you know, more statistics are going to line up for the 49ers and the Seahawks, that whole thing. But the Seahawks found a way to scrap and battle and win. Again, that was his worst game, and it's not a coincidence. That was the second most amount of sacks he had all year. He was sacked five times in that game. Of course, there's a million different keys and and things that are going on in any given game, but this is the biggest one. In that game against San Francisco, Zadarius did not play that terribly, but he had five pressures. That's one of the lowest he's had all year. Preston only had two pressures. Kenny Clark had one pressure. There were 10 total pressures in the entire game. 10 pressures. There were 30 last week against Seattle. 30. Kenny Clark had seven by himself, including a sack. He only had one pressure against San Francisco last time. Preston Smith had seven pressures. Zadarius Smith had 11 pressures. We're talking about this past week. And interestingly enough, the pressures are a, it's it's a giant fact. The Lions, you know, obviously not that good of a team, right? Almost beat the Packers. Is it a coincidence the Packers only had 11 pressures in that game? Zadarius had six. Preston and Kenny Clark had zero pressures in the game. Look, I mean, even even the, the Ben Baldwins of the world and whatnot, although I don't uh, perfectly agree with the statement that he made, he's pointed out if you look at DVOA, it's the defense that has massively improved over last year, not the offense. Now, I disagree that it's, well, then they shouldn't have got rid of Mike McCarthy. It wasn't his fault. Eh. If you watched the games and saw the play calls, and, the, and it was pretty well known that this was a very vanilla offense. By the way, just terrible play calling. I mean, the plays are not that creative and innovative. I think there's something else going on there. First of all, the talent level is still what it was last year. Add in the fact that despite it's a newer, better scheme, it's a more unfamiliar scheme. But that's that's beside the point. The point is, this is a team that right now is being driven by defense, and that's okay, but we need the defense to do its job. And primarily, the main mover, the main driver is pressures. Seattle game, we won that because there were 30 pressures and five sacks in that game. How do we beat the Minnesota Vikings? 20 pressures, six sacks, at least PFF calculated, because they don't do half sack. Even if you don't like that number, the official box number was five. That's how the team does it, man. When they rise up and beat teams they're not supposed to beat in environments they're not supposed to be comfortable in, it's the defense that brings that pressure that gets the other team uncomfortable. Because that's the main factor when you're at home in an environment in which you don't lose. The 49ers are comfortable right now. They know they're a very good football team, and they are. They know they don't lose at home, with the exception of the Ravens. But, you know, it was the Ravens, and it was close. But they know. They know they're a really good team. And this is their house. And they've got a great game plan. And they trust that Shanahan knows LaFleur inside out. And they trust that they got this all figured out. But that first time Zadarius shoots through the line and buries Jimmy Garoppolo's head into the ground, is the moment that all that confidence goes right out the window. Suddenly the roar of the crowd isn't there backing you up anymore. Suddenly you realize this isn't some team that's just going to be pushed around, and as much as you might think we're better, Zadarius doesn't care. It's not going to make it hurt less. When you see Kenny Clark is just a wild animal that won't stop. Rashawn Gary is, is literally just a wild animal. He's unrefined, but he's wild. And you look at the size of him and you wonder, how can a man move that fast? I don't know if you had a chance. Go see if you can find it. He had one pressure in the game last week. 
I believe it was his first play. He only had like nine rushes, so it was at, or seven, I think, actually. Seven times he rushed the passer. The first time he did it, he got That was the most Zadarius Smith-esque rush I've ever seen. It was just, I'm going to squeeze right between two guys, although the other guy wasn't really blocking, but it wasn't really so much technique. It was just, I'm better, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm faster. And I'm going to squeeze past you, I'm going to go around you, and I'm going to hunt from the backside. And if he didn't get cut his, his legs cut off from underneath him, he might have gotten Rashad, or, uh, Russell Wilson from behind. I don't care what you think. I don't care what the stats say. None of that matters. You have to find a way to operate in that environment, and this will be a hostile environment. I don't care whose house it is. That is the key. That is the goal. Disrupt. If this offense is able to get in rhythm, they will hang up 30 points again. 37 to be exact. And that was really it. That, that, that's what it came down to, right? What did I say the, the key, essentially, for both teams is? The defense needs to find a way to disrupt the offense. The Packers could not disrupt the offense. They got into a rhythm and essentially just scored on every drive and racked up 37 points. The 49ers' defense against a struggling Bakhtiari and Alex Light were able to disrupt Aaron Rodgers on almost every single drop back, causing them to not be able to get into a rhythm and get eight points. That was the key then. It's the key now. The question is, will the Packers' defense rise to the occasion this time or not? Will the Packers' offensive line rise to the occasion or not? Those are the only two questions that matter. If the answer is yes, the Packers have a very good chance of winning this game. It's up to the offensive and defensive lines of the Green Bay Packers. Bottom line, just like I said before, Aaron Rodgers just needs an opportunity to be the hero. The defense needs to keep the ball in his hands keep the score low. The offensive line needs to give him a chance to stand on his feet and deliver a ball. Just give him the chance to be the hero and bring this team to a Super Bowl, and I believe he will do it. Anyways, that's all I got. You folks enjoy your Saturday. As always, I will talk to you tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll get something out one way or another. But otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.